Good evening, everybody. Episode 132. This is Matt with Don't Unfriend Me. Fantastic to see you. I had a late start tonight. It is April 6th, 7 p.m. I'm supposed to have a guest on tonight, but unfortunately, I could not get to it. It was a crazy traffic day. People seem to be going back to work, which I don't like. I, Washington, D.C. is rated the worst traffic in the United States. And I, th- I lived in L.A., and I lived in Houston, Texas. And I, I would swear that Houston was worse than L.A. That's not really true. The routes that I would take certainly weren't as bad as Houston. But Los Angeles traffic is incredibly just abhorrent. Houston's pretty bad, too. It's a slow roll. Phoenix is horrible as well. But D.C. is a different type of traffic. It's There's no rhyme or reason. People are just stupid. That's really what it comes down to. The drivers are absolutely horrendous. What are we talking about tonight? Well, tonight we're going to talk about the presumption of innocence and also the cancel culture and some of your rights, which we may have forgotten about. I know people don't go through the Bill of Rights every single day. I tend to read up on them and stay abreast of what my rights are and read the Constitution and read the Declaration of Independence and Bill of Rights, but that because that's because I'm boring. But there is a reason. It's because I want to know what situation, whatever situation I'm in, that I'll be able to communicate what my rights are effectively without accidentally infringing upon my own rights, specifically the fourth and the fifth. But I think we've forgotten as a people. So I'm going to talk about it today. And this is something I did when I first started the show was really dive into parts of the Constitution, parts of our our rights, uh, the preambles, the amendments, and and kind of mix um, a little bit of reflection and bringing things back to the forefront that we've lost in the yesteryear in school to the forefront of our mind. Because I think as a, as a, as a, population, we have forgotten what our rights are. And certainly with this new cancel culture, it's to the extreme. And um, the presumption of innocence is extremely important. And I'm finding that it's really become political, is that people talk out of the both sides of their mouth. Let me give you an example real quick before we get started. What do you think about Justice Kavanaugh? If you're a liberal, you think what? That he, Blasey Ford, he raped her or sexually assaulted her or said some horrible things to her. Whatever you think, you were pretty sure that he was guilty. Judge Amy Coney Barrett is another one where you felt that she was Opus Dei or a Catholic zealot or the Ozzie and Harriet prototypical wife who couldn't do anything or say boo without her husband. This was most liberals versus conservatives said they're both guilty of it. Conservatives defended and liberals accused. So all conservatives are like, this is horrible. How can this happen? Well, I want to express there's another side to this. When Donald Trump was accused of the 14 women, we defended him ad nauseum. But when Joe Biden was accused of it, nobody defended Joe Biden. When his son was accused with a laptop, nobody defended his son. Why not? Why does the presumption of innocence stop based upon your political affiliation or at least at the very 
lowest common denominator, people we disagree with. What about Governor Cuomo? Remember, we heard all about that. So help me understand how that's fair. It's not. But also, there's this interesting thing. Well, if they're going to go after Kavanaugh and Amy Coney Barrett and Donald Trump, why does Governor Cuomo still have a job? And why is, was this swept under the rug? Just remember, a few days ago, we were hearing nothing except Governor Cuomo. And then the shootings happened. And now we haven't heard anything. Am I making a correlation that shootings happened to cover up the story? No. But there's always some news that tends to go first over a bad story about Democrats. Isn't it interesting? So we're going to dive into it tonight. I hope you enjoy the episode. But first, I want to start you off with what I always start you off with is a little humor. It's, it's a Constitution joke. And uh, you can say what you want about the First Amendment. Recorded from an undisclosed location. Always honest. Always direct. So sit back. Relax. Don't unfriend me starts right now. Well, thank you, thank you, thank you. That was a quick one. You better be on your toes for that joke. Folks, who am I? My name is Matthew Spear. I am the host of Don't Unfriend Me. Thank you for stopping by tonight. What the heck do we do here? Well, we do quite a few things. The first thing we do is we have conversation about current events, politics, sports, whatever's tickling my fancy. And tonight, like I said, we are going to talk about your rights. And I said earlier why I wanted to talk about it, but I think there are a few other things that will come out in the show, which will hopefully teach you something maybe you haven't really thought about in a few years or teach you something you've never known before. And that's really the point of the show is we can all learn together and hopefully get back to being reasonable, sensible adults, because that's what Don't Unfriend Me is about. What do we do here specifically? Well, first, you can stop by don'tunfriendme.com, and you can see all my shows, my podcasts, my entire catalog right there. I would appreciate if you would do it. Here are all my tags. If you could throw me right here a like, share, and a subscribe, you can click on this little red envelope on YouTube or hit follow and like. We are this close to 15,000 followers. What a cool thing. Please do me a favor. Uh, go ahead and like, follow, share, subscribe if you could. And we are also this close to reaching out to almost three quarters of a million people, 750,000 interactions on the site. That's pretty darn cool. So thank you so much for all your hard work and effort. I truly appreciate it. And God will certainly save a puppy if you do. Has the presumption of innocence given way to the presumption of guilt? I've made this comment several times when it comes to the English, although I despise England and everything that they stand for, whether it be the monarchy or Jack the Ripper or what they've done to Ireland and Scotland or the rest of the free world. I am not a fan of the land of bad teeth and endless rain. That was a, a tadra, I think. A double entendre, is that what it's called? Rain and rain. Rain as in crown and rain as in rain down. Okay, whatever. The point is, R-A-I-N and R-E. IGN? Ooh, rain. I don't know. Whatever. You get the point. There's one thing that the English do well. And the main thing that when you are being charged with a crime or you are suspected, everything but convicted, they put a black 
or black clo- like a coat or a hood or they protect your identity or they blur it out and the reason why is because the mass media believes in the presumption of innocence and you truly can't have the presumption of innocence and a true unbiased jury when you are traipsing everybody over the evening news most assuredly people understand when someone's arrested and the rumor mill will start And you may read it in the papers, but the mass media, the mass consumption, they try to protect that person as much as they possibly can. Because even if that person is implied to be guilty, their rights thereon are with them until they're convicted. And even when convicted, they still have rights. So the English do a good job of that. America does a horrible job of that. Someone's even accused before they're arrested we see mothers on the evening news saying my baby's been missing. And everyone's like, she threw him down a well. She backed up the car into the river. The husband did it. And we start playing this, this game of let's guess who done it. And we trivialize the pain that they're going through. Now it happens. There's definitely a time that we're right. And most times we are about who done it, but it's still, The presumption of innocence holds true, not this presumption of guilt. The concept of presumed innocence, it's not specifically mentioned anywhere in the U.S. Constitution. You can go through it ad nauseum and not find it. Although a jury or judge must presume an accused person innocent until proven guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. Although the presumption of innocence is an issue for trials, the presumption of guilt pre-trial is a growing concern in a nation that incarcerates more people for longer periods of time than nearly every other nation in the world. The concern is valid in this media driven world with an endless news cycle, men and women accused of a crime are vilified within hours of their arrest or even before an arrest without regard to the fact that the reporting is based on mere allegations. No one is entitled to the presumption of innocence before trial begins. O.J. Simpson is a fantastic example and guilty as hell, mind you, but still found innocent in the court of law. Scrupulous prosecutor. I don't want to hear it about O.J. Whatever. Make your case. Scrupulous prosecutors are careful to affix alleged when talking about a suspect. I'll do it here. O.J. Simpson is allegedly guilty. Defense attorneys are eager to point out that their clients are innocent until proven guilty. And NBC legal analyst Dan Abrams once wrote in the Wall Street Journal, demanding that all of us presume every defendant innocent outside of a courtroom is to demand what we stop evaluating, which is facts, thereby suffocating independent thought and opinion. Beyond the media, there are a growing number of situations that appear to encroach on fundamental liberty rights before an accused is adjudicated guilty. DNA collected from individuals after arrest rather than after conviction is an example of an overreach. Opponents say it is unconstitutional and supporters say the measure would prevent violent crime. The U.S. Supreme Court ruled in 2013 that police can take DNA samples from people who are arrested but not yet convicted of a crime and determine if the DNA matches any samples from unsolved crimes in a national database. Certainly seems overreaching to me, a one-stop shop. 
If the accused is later found not guilty or exonerated in some manner, his or her DNA is not removed from the database. This has been written many times before about bail pending trial. Those who fight for bail reform argue that imprisoning individuals while awaiting trial, which could easily be months or years in the future, is an egregious civil rights violation and establishes a precedent that could be used to punish or coerce someone accused of a crime to a lesser crime or equivalent based upon how long they're in prison. Those who support a monetary bond system seem satisfied that merely a strong suspicion of guilt is enough to set in motion the punitive aspects of the criminal justice system. How about the movement in many states to extend or repeal the statute of limitations for rape cases? Some argue that rape is one of the vilest things a human being can do to another human being, and there should be no limit for prosecuting an alleged rapist. An accused could face criminal prosecution based on allegations of rape that occurred 50, 60, even 70 years ago. The statute of limitations has been around since antiquity. As time passes, memory fades, witnesses die, and evidence disappears. The statute of limitation protects individuals from facing charges under those hopeless circumstances. No better example than what we talked about with Justice Kavanaugh. I can't remember when it happened. I can't remember where it happened. I can't remember who was with me, and I don't think I was raped. This is a prime example. It almost ruined a man's career, an illustrious career, where no accusations of impropriety had ever happened, even before his original federal court appealings and his vetting that was done to him by many, many levels of government. Let's take a look at Amy Coney Barrett, like I mentioned earlier. Another simply was just too much of a wife and not enough of an independent thinker for liberals to swallow. Cuomo slept with how many interns? Michael Jackson, immediately guilty for kids because he is eccentric and weird and probably did exactly what they accused of him, allegedly. What about Coca-Cola? Coca-Cola, is that a, is that a person? No. Do they have the presumption of in- innocence as a company? Well, certainly. But there is a new type. Dr. Seuss is one of them. You and me, when it comes to this show, don't unfriend me. Can somebody smear? Can someone accuse me of something and say that I'm racist? Can someone libel against me as a show? Well, no, because I'm a public figure. There are so many things that really don't protect us and leave us exposed and open. But these social media companies like Facebook and Twitter have a get-out-of-jail-free card because, remember, they are not publishers, They are not content creators. They are simply spreading the knowledge to you and cannot be held liable for whatever is on their social media sites, whether it be a mass shooting or Russia overtaking our elections. The point is pretty simple, is that we have to look at our laws and constantly amend our laws. And you will find that there are several amendments that make our laws better and some that send them back to the Stone Age. But this whole get-out-of-jail-free card It needs to change because with technology, with the internet, we're not on the printing press anymore. We are able to get instant news in a nanosecond to everyone around the world. We are able to interact with millions of people simultaneously changing opinions and thought based on what the Twitter trend is. It's no longer a tap, 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 dot, dot, dot communication style or picking up Ma Bell. It is the information superhighway on steroids. And we have to look at the way our judicial system processes and accuses people. The pre-trial usually sets somebody's guilt or innocence before the trial has even begun. 
we have to learn how do we protect the identities of people who are accused because they don't walk away from this. And if they are truly innocent until proven guilty, even if it's one out of a thousand, do we not owe it to that one person to presume innocence on all to save the few and not the many? I happen to think so, and I think that's what our justice system is based on. Finally, a fundamental principle of criminal law has long been that the government must prove a defendant's criminal intent to commit a crime. This legal protection is now being eroded as Congress continues to churn out legislation in dramatic numbers. In the last quarter century, there has been an onslaught of federal laws enacted that weaken the government's responsibility to prove criminal intent. The increasing number of crimes and the absence of having to prove the willful nature of conduct is alarming. While the presumption of innocence is for trial, judges and lawmakers alike should not make it increasingly more difficult for an innocent person to protect his or her liberty interests and the right to mount a vigorous defense. What are your rights? What are some of the things that you should know as an American? Well, here they are. Here's just a few. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. This is a famous phrase from the Declaration of Independence. It sets any serious understanding of America in motion to fully grasp its importance. However, it means that you have to be a learner. You must be conversant in Enlightenment thoughts. America's colonial history and the revolutionary moment at which these words were written and which gave them resonance An entire education could be wrested from considering what it means in America to pursue happiness. Perhaps it should. And this is why I still read the Declaration of Independence, because it is a document that is virtuous and it's relevant to today's society. And whenever we get too far from home, we should go back to it. Even considering taxes and tyrannical rule and oppression and censorship, the Declaration of Independence has the answer. Everyone deserves the right to happiness. We have the right to form a more perfect union. If I had to choose only one, this would be it. This phrase from the Constitution established the overarching narrative for the whole of America's social history. Our nation may have been ordered around the prerogatives of a select class of citizens, but no serious contemporary thinker argues that civil rights can be legitimately denied to a person on the basis of race, color, sex, religion, national origin, disability, sexual orientation, And creed, the ceaseless effort to form a more perfect union is, on our best days, the story of America. Three, e pluribus unum, the nation's motto, which translate to out of the many, first appeared on the great seal of the United States when adopted by Congress in 1782. In its original use, the phrase meant that a single new nation was birthed from the original 13 states. Over the centuries, however, this durable motto has evolved to connotate our status as a nation of immigrants. People of many races and religions, languages, and traditions who have come together as a single person in the American melting pot, a phrase itself badly in need of rehabilitation. Those wishing to view the American experiment through the lens of diversity or make it the central narrative should start here. Number four, a government of laws and not of men. This concept reflects a political philosophy dating back to the ancient Greeks, but it was first applied to the United States by John Adams, repeated by John Marshall in Marbury versus Madison, which we've talked about on my show. I'll try to link it here. And uttered again by Gerald Ford in announcing the resignation of President Nixon, the idea that every government 
official pledges to uphold the Constitution is a seminal element of the American creed. The rule of law is above the power of any individual or institution. Those who find the word men anachronistic can substitute equal justice under law. And if you're too sensitive, please go get a cup of coffee, sit and time out and just shut up. As inscribed over the door of the Supreme Court building, that's not on the Supreme Court building. Government of the people, by the people, for the people. The phrase is familiar from Lincoln's Gettysburg Address, but to understand its significance and resonance means appreciation for the historic novelty of self-rule. No more important than what we're going through with COVID. There are no decisions that we make. You must wear a mask. You have to stay this far apart. You have to get a vaccination. You can't go to a ball game. These are our rights, and self-rule is a thing of the past. Also, self-reliance. No single phrase can capture the character and self-image of a large and diverse nation, but the title of Ralph Waldo Emerson's seminal 1841 essay still resonates. A half century later, Frederick Jackson Turner argued that coarseness and strength combined with acuteness and cuisitevinous, accusatevinous. Oh, this is good. Accusitevinous. Accusativeness. Oh, I've never seen the word. I've, I, that is like the first time in my life I haven't seen that word. Accusativeness, which is acu- the action of accusing. Interesting. Folks. You learn something new. That is a 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 letter word. That doesn't happen very often. We should take a moment. Accusativeness. I am putting it in my memory banks. What did I say when I first started? Accusensitive of thisness. <laughs> that rest, restless nervous energy, that dominant individualism could all be attributed to the indelible stamp of the frontier on America's psyche and character. Alexis de Tocqueville made similar observations about the unique character of the citizenry and democracy in America in 1835. Number seven, the chief business of the American people is business. It is impossible to separate the nation's history from its status as the most robust and productive industrial, financial, and economic engine the world has ever known. Captured neatly in this famous Calvin Coolidge observation, America's large population, wealth of natural resources, entrepreneurial spirit, and rich legacy of inventions and innovation from the telegraph to the light bulb to the personal computer made the United States the most prosperous nation in history through industry and free market capitalism. We talked about that last night. American exceptionalism, fantastic, although put through the ringer. That American exceptionalism is a nationalist point of view, a white nationalist point of view, which is ridiculous. John Winthrop's 1630 sermon from a preacher described America as a city upon a hill, a phrase Ronald Reagan constantly evoked centuries later in his speeches. The debate over whether or not America has a unique role to play in transforming the world into a better place burns as hotly today as ever. Honestly, I kind of believe we should just not influence the rest of the world. Influence from afar. How about that? Number nine, give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. Emma Lazarus' stirring words etched in bronze in the pedestal of the Statue of Liberty a few hundred yards from Ellis Island are among the most aspirational sentiments ever penned about the promise of our nation. Every American school kid used to learn the verse by heart. We should insist they do. So again, some adults do too. 
Number 10, a republic, if you can keep it. Benjamin Franklin's response when asked what kind of government had been decided upon by the delegates to the Constitutional Convention is a pointed reminder that self-rule must never be taken for granted. And of the historic long shot American democracy represents, his words may be more relevant today than at any time in our history. There you have it. If every American could discuss each of these 10 phrases with some degree of authority and nuance, we'd be an uncommonly literate, historically engaged, and thoughtful people, something that escapes all of us today. Let's be transparent. We'd also be well on our way to becoming the radically more diverse and inclusive nation we aspire to be. And I don't care about skin color. I don't care men, woman, who cares? I think inclusivity starts with thought and the diversity of thought. That the smartest thought in the room wins, and it should always win. And there should always be naysayers in that room to shoot down the best idea as well. That is where debate starts. That is where discourse starts. And that's what our founding fathers did, is they locked themselves in that town hall in Philadelphia oh so long ago. Let's go over some of the things that your rights mean. And what the government can and can't do. The government cannot make you believe in religion or a specific type of religion. The government cannot keep you from practicing any religion you choose ever. It's really interesting with COVID, all the churches closing down. The government cannot keep you from saying what you wish. The government cannot keep you from writing what you want. The government cannot stop you from publishing what you want. The government cannot keep you from joining together peacefully with others to express your views. The government cannot prevent you from complaining about what the government or others are doing to you. That's all under the First Amendment. How many of those that I just read, out of those seven, have been violated during COVID? For me, simply with Facebook and some of the censorship that I've received, is the government should protect me from that. Not being able to peacefully assemble There's another one, not being able to practice my religion, not being able to say what I want with advertising. It's interesting. Although this show is a conduit to say what I want to get this word out to others, that is what was censored. The second amendment, the government cannot take away your right to own and keep guns, period. There's no need for anything else. Amendment three, the government cannot make you let soldiers live in your house unless the Country comes under attack and Congress specifically authorize it, quartering of troops. Amendment four, the government cannot come into your home unless it has legal permission from a judge or if you have a gun. I'm just kidding, not yet. Amendment five, the government cannot hold you in jail for a major crime without the knowledge and approval of your fellow citizens. We just talked about that. Well, what about when you're arrested for a crime and awaiting trial? What about the right to a speedy trial? The government cannot try a person twice for the same crime. That's called double jeopardy. The government cannot make you incriminate yourself. The government cannot take away your life, liberty, or property without following the law. The government can't take your private property from you for public use unless it pays you for what your property is worth or a fraction of what it's worth in some cases. It's amazing how many of these laws are actually being broken every single day. Amendment 6, the government cannot hold you in jail for a long time without a trial if you are accused of having broken the law. What is a long time? It used to be a month was too long. Now a year, three years, four years, doesn't matter as long as they eventually get to it, right? 
The government cannot deny you to a speedy trial with a jury of your fellow citizens. The government cannot keep you or cannot keep secret from you those who will speak against you. The government cannot prevent you from having your personal attorney. The government cannot keep you from having other people help you defend yourself in a courtroom. Amendment 7. The government cannot keep you from having a trial decided by your fellow citizens in civil disputes, and the fact-finding by the jury in those trials cannot be overturned by other courts. Amendment 8. The government cannot make people pay an unfairly high amount of money for bail while they wait for a judge or jury to hear their case. Well, what's unfair? Some murderers are held for million-dollar bonds. Is that not unfair? I don't have a lot of weepy tears for people who commit those type of things. But once again, if we are presuming the innocent, either you're for the law or you're not. The government cannot punish you for a crime in a cruel and unusual way. Well, is isolation cruel and unusual? Is not allowing you to see other people, not allowing you to have bail during your pretrial? These are all things that we have to ask ourselves. Nine, the government cannot limit your rights to just those listed in the Bill of Rights. And Amendment 10, probably the most important, the government cannot claim to possess more power and authority than what the Constitution permits. And all other powers not listed in the Constitution belong to the states or the individuals, not the collective body of elected representatives. However, these laws are used for the government. The Constitution, the Bill of Rights, the amendments, they weren't written for the government. They were written for the people. And we have forgotten that as we are censored, as we are forced to do things that are not within the confines of the law. We have to ask ourselves a question is how far are we removed from the days of old and the days of yesteryear when the citizens ruled this country? Did we ever have it? Did we ever have the power? Did we ever really truly believe we the people? I think we did. But now we have a a government that won't allow us to have a voice. Self-interest, political action committees, the almighty dollar, self-interest groups. All of these have a national stage. But your local farmer, the blue-collar worker, the homeless, the veterans, the addicted, the people less fortunate have no voice anymore if it doesn't align with the corporation's agenda and this new cancel culture and woke generation, which is the hippie movement of yesteryear. Things need to change. We need to start using the Constitution. We need educated citizens. We need not pick up a weapon and stand at post and overthrow our government or storm the Capitol. That will get us nowhere. We need to educate ourselves. As the Egyptians once did and they rose up against the pharaohs, reading was no longer allowed. Hieroglyphics were banned, and they were left in the catacombs deep below the pyramids. But the slaves found them. They educated themselves, and they rose up against the pharaohs and took back their land. We have forgotten how to read. We have forgotten the stories of our fathers and mothers. And until we take the time to educate ourselves, to arm ourselves with the laws that are meant for us and not them, we will continue to be slaves to this left and right thinking. And we will never become America again.
Folks, I appreciate your time. Thank you for spending it with me. This was Don't Unfriend Me. If you like what you heard, like what you saw, please give me a share, a follow, a subscribe. Tell me what you think. Give me a smiley face or tell me to go to hell. Whatever you want to do, I would love to hear it. Just don't unfriend me. I will go out like I always do. The Veteran Crisis Hotline, 1-800-273-8255. Press 1. 22 veterans a day commit suicide. It is way too many. PTS, traumatic brain injury, stress, anxiety, depression are all real. Veterans need your help. The only way they're going to get through this is by conversation and talking about this. They will if you give them that chance. Dial that phone number. If you can't, you can go to my website at don'tunfriendme.com. Click on the VCL link and you'll be connected to a VCL operator. It is that important. Folks, that's it for 132. I'll see you tomorrow for 133. By the way, the abs are now ooh, 14-0-2 in the last 16. It's pretty incredible. They're doing really well. Go abs. Astros won today. And I'll see you tomorrow.